We are committed to be there for Maui and Lahaina for as long as it takes to recover, to rebuild, and to help ensure a tragedy like this never happens again. In that spirit, I hope all of us can see it as our shared kuleana, our responsibility to honor the people of Lahaina as we do this work as part of a collective community. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. In late September, the House Energy and Commerce Committee's Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations held a hearing on the role of electric infrastructure in the wildfire that occurred in Lahaina on Maui on August 8th. Hawaiian Electric President and CEO Shelley Kimura, along with Hawaiian Public Utilities Commission Chair Leo Asuncion and Hawaii State Energy Office Chief Energy Officer Mark Glick, provided testimony and answered questions from the committee members who had launched an investigation into the wildfire in each entity's response. This hearing was a significant step in initiating a broader, national conversation about what needs to be done to make electric companies, and the communities they serve, more resilient against increasing climate risk and extreme weather events. The growing threat created by wildfires is a problem that challenges not only Maui, but our nation and the world. The hearing raised questions about how electric companies, regulators, private property owners, and other stakeholders can take a holistic, collaborative approach to address these increasing risks. The entire hearing ran around two hours, so in today's episode, we have selected key audio segments, including Shelley's responses about Hawaiian Electric's application for a grid hardening project that had been pending with the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission since last year, Hawaiian Electric's wildfire protocols, and the obstacles to undergrounding power lines. Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations Chair Morgan Griffith of Virginia opened the hearing with background on the catastrophic event and why the hearing was being held. On August 7th and 8th, a series of fires broke out on the island of Maui and the island of Hawaii, including one that devastated the town of Lahaina on the west coast of Maui. While the Hawaiian Electric Company and the county of Maui dispute some facts surrounding these events, one thing is certain. This series of fires were catastrophic to the state of Hawaii, and we must make every effort to be vigilant and try and prevent a similar disaster from striking again. Tragically, the Lahaina fire took at least 97 lives burned thousands of acres, caused billions of dollars in damage, and destroyed multiple native Hawaiian cultural and historical landmarks. There are several investigations underway and still a lot of debate and speculation around the days in which the fires spread and about what has been done or has not been done in years prior. However, Congress has a responsibility to pursue a safe national energy policy, which includes hardened electric infrastructure that is prepared for events like wildfires and hurricanes. Next, Shelley delivered her opening statement on the wildfire and Hawaiian Electric's response efforts. Aloha and good morning. On August 8th in Lahaina, Maui, we saw human loss and devastation at a speed and scale that is difficult for our hearts and minds to process. I want to start by honoring those lost and those whose lives have been forever changed by this overwhelming and tragic event. Most of you know the word aloha. There is another word in the Hawaiian language, kuleana. Loosely translated, this word means responsibility. But like aloha, 
it cannot be simply defined. It is a deep sense of responsibility that is both an obligation and a privilege. We are committed to be there for Maui and Lahaina for as long as it takes to recover, to rebuild, and to help ensure a tragedy like this never happens again. In that spirit, I hope all of us can see it as our shared kuleana, our responsibility to honor the people of Lahaina as we do this work as part of a collective community. I hope we can start to find solutions that will help protect Hawaii and the rest of the nation from increasing threats of familiar natural disasters like hurricanes and those that we have rarely experienced, including droughts that can fuel catastrophic wildfires on tropical islands. Hawaii is the most isolated population on Earth. There's no electrical connection to the continental US or even between islands. This is one of the reasons Hawaii has the highest electric rates in the nation. On an island, we have to be our own safety net. We can't call on a neighboring state if we run short. Our isolation is also one of the drivers for our efforts to become energy independent to get off expensive, volatile, imported fossil fuels. It's not only about the environment, but about our economy and energy security. I became president and CEO of Hawaiian Electric in January of 2022. Every day, I feel a tremendous kuleana responsibility to our customers, communities, and employees. Since August 8th, I've spent much of my time on Maui. I've seen the devastation firsthand. Our team, including our Maui employees who have been personally impacted by this tragedy, has been working tirelessly to support our communities. We all want to learn what happened on August 8th so that it never happens again. Following opening testimony, congressional leaders had the opportunity to ask questions. Ms. Kamara, do you all gather information in real time on weather reports when planning preventive maintenance and power generation activities? And before a storm like this, do you have plans in place to watch what's happening and what's going to occur? Because we know the National Weather Service was telling folks a couple of days in advance this was going to be a big one. Thank you for that question. So uh, we do monitor. We were very aware of the red flag warning of the high winds. Forecasters were indicating that it would be 35 to 45 mile per hour winds with gusts of 60 miles per hour. They later indicated as this was happening that they had then forecasted that parts of the state were experiencing much higher winds and gusts of about 80 miles per hour. Ranking member of the Oversight and Investigation Subcommittee, Kathy Castor of Florida, offered the next line of questioning. The protocols did, what exactly were the protocols on the books that ensured when you received these warnings that action was going to be taken immediately? Yeah, so the protocols on the books for, for many years was to disable the automatic a setting on our system that automatically recloses a circuit if there's a fault, meaning that if there's a fault indicated on the line, that it won't re-energize. The and breaker how, will open and then it won't re-energize. 
last year, HECO submitted a plan to the PUC to spend $189 million on grid hardening to make its energy grid more resilient. And last month, USDOE announced $95 million to Lahaina coming from the bipartisan infrastructure law. Ms. Kamari, can you explain, describe HECO's proposed grid hardening plan and what steps you have already taken to improve your lines prior to the fire and how you intend to use these federal investments? So the, the federal investment that we were informed of, we don't yet have it. We're in discussions on when we will get that or how we will get that. But that is going to help fund our transmission and distribution resilience program. And that is a multi-year program that we have in front of the Public Utilities Commission. We had filed for approval for that program in June of 2022. And that program was a result of um, years of work, including a lot of work with uh, stakeholders as well. And that program includes addressing critical transmission and distribution infrastructure. Next, Energy and Commerce Committee Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington read from a filing submitted by HECO to the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission stating that the vast bulk of invasive grasses on the island of Maui are not on land controlled or owned by Hawaiian Electric and that vegetation such as grasses that are not tall enough to contact power lines are not within Hawaiian Electric's right-of-way, so the company can't clear that vegetation. The overgrown invasive vegetation is believed to have contributed to the rapid spread of the wildfire. Chair McMorris-Rogers asked Hawaii State Energy Office Chief Energy Officer Mark Glick if Hawaii will review policy about flammable vegetation near electric company infrastructure. Yeah, we're certainly aware of great investments that Hawaiian Electric and our other utility, Kauai Island Utility Cooperative, have made in Hawaiian Electric's case, particularly on Hawaii Island, with Albizia removal. Albizia trees are invasive trees that have caused great damage. Our look into policy changes will continue to look at ways to also work with the private landowners and to try to have more cooperative efforts because a lot of these, everything doesn't happen, as you mentioned, in the right of ways. Right. Right. Thank you. So, Ms. Kamara, you know, if there are, for example, the overgrown shrubs or an abundance, abundance of dry grasses under Hawaiian electric lines, but not tall enough to actually contact the lines, you maintain that the company cannot do anything about them, and that's what it sounds like was cited and based on a, a Hawaiian Electric's response. I just wanted to give you a moment to elaborate on that. Thank you for the opportunity. So our easements and rights away allow us to clear vegetation. So our vegetation management is around our lines. Um, it does not give us the right, it is not a stated right to take care of the grass under our lines on private property. And so that is an issue that I think we all in our state need to be looking at. Uh, now, given what happened on August 8th, and I, we all, I think, agree that that's a critical issue for everyone to be looking at. Subcommittee member Jan Schakowsky of Illinois opened by thanking the witnesses, and she mentioned the disinformation that was spread on social media after the wildfires, including a claim that lasers from the government had been responsible for the fires. I just wanted to ask any or all of you if this disinformation had any effect, if you had to deal with that at the same time as trying to address the tragedy and the things that happened afterwards and all the work that you had to do in order to do the best for your communities. This is not an area of my expertise, but I have been on the ground in Lahaina and I have been talking 
with people, it is very distracting and it creates divide in the community. And in a time where people need to come together and support the community, it does create noise uh, that, that makes it much more difficult for that to happen. And just talking about it personally for our own company, I recall having conversations. We would gather every morning in Maui in a big circle at 7 a.m. before the crews went out. And I remember having to tell them, stay focused on your work, be safe, don't let all of that noise in social media distract you and bother you because we have work to do and we need to stay focused on serving our community. And I'm sure that's the kind of conversations others that are helping the community needed to have as well. Subcommittee member Michael Burgess of Texas turned the conversation to undergrounding power lines. Is there ever any option to bury these delivery lines Are they always going to be above ground? Is it just too cost prohibitive to bury the lines? The standard on Maui is for lines to be overhead. A customer can opt to have it undergrounded. They have to pay for that undergrounding. It is very expensive. So some customers opt to do that and they pay for that. About 50% of the lines on Maui are undergrounded. In comparison, as I understand it, California is about 33% undergrounded. So you have more underground delivery water. Yes. Obviously, some of this infrastructure is going to have to be replaced as you rebuild. Again, I would just ask, if is, is undergrounding a consideration during the rebuild? As I've talked to some community members in Lahaina, they would like to have the lines undergrounded, understandably. These are conversations that we're going to have to continue to have and solutions we're going to have to figure out. Undergrounding in general is about five times more expensive. And on a small island like Maui with only 70,000 customers, that can get very expensive in a place where they have the highest, we have the highest rates in the nation. And we're already facing an economy where many of our people who have lived in Hawaii for a long time can no longer afford to live in Hawaii. So those are the kinds of considerations we have when we make these kinds of decisions and the kinds of conversations we need to have as a community to make sure that we're doing the right thing and the best thing for that community. Hawaii Public Utilities Commission Chair Leo Asuncion also was asked to share his perspective on undergrounding in Hawaii. Uh, It does come at some costs to the ratepayer, to the company, basically to all of us in the state of Hawaii. One One of our things is really looking at the cost, but you know, I will say, as a as an urban planner and knowing the conditions underground, you hit the water table pretty quickly. Sure. So those are other considerations, more technical considerations that we need to look at. Representative Burgess asked about Hawaiian Electric's $190 million application filed to the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission last year to upgrade transmission and distribution infrastructure over five years. That is coming along well. I think there was a filing of the application, and then there was an opportunity here or Hawaiian Electric to get some federal money to supplement that, right? And at the end of the day, it does save our ratepayers basically half the cost of the project. My understanding is that an award was announced by the Department of Energy, and Hawaiian Electric is now uh, talking over the exact scope for that money and how they would get that money uh, granted to us. What we have committed to at the Public Utilities Commission is to render a decision Uh, within 90 days of the announcement of that award. This concludes our recap of the hearing. The full recording is available on the House Energy and Commerce Committee's website.
And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.